0: following sermon audio is from love city church cincinnati more audio and information about love city church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org turn with me if you would to uh, psalm chapter 19 Uh, if you're still learning how to find books of the bible You'll find the book of Psalms in the middle. It's a big one, and it's between the book of Job and the book of Proverbs. In case you aren't aware, why do we go to Psalm 19? Uh, we have studied the first 18 Psalms at different times uh, over the last 10 years. And uh, if you missed some of that, uh, those are uh, available in our sermon archives. Um, as we break into Psalm 19 today, it doesn't surprise me at all that towards the end of the Psalm, I see some. Particular application around what it is we just prayed about, what's going on in the world. Um, You know, I obviously couldn't have planned that, but the Lord is good. So, uh, in case you aren't aware of kind of the content of the book of of Psalms or the the construction of it, uh, the book of Psalms has several authors. Uh, David wrote 73 Psalms, Asaph wrote 12. The sons of Korah wrote nine. Solomon wrote two. Uh, A guy named Ethan and Moses, we know who he is. Uh, They wrote one each. And then there's a guy that wrote one other psalm. He wrote Psalm 88. His name is spelled H-E-M-A-N. I don't know about you, but that reads He-Man to me. And uh, I actually feel so good about how well that went over because I thought there was going to be a bunch of people like, What's He-Man? Thank you, children of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I love you for knowing who He-Man is. If you don't know who He-Man is, uh, he was a cartoon character, pretty pretty tough guy, uh, scrawny normally, but then he's got a big sword and lightning hits it and he gets real buff and fights bad guys. And so uh, we were into that, you know, back when children were into such simple things like that. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, I'm sure it's actually pronounced Haman, but to me, He-Man wrote Psalm 88, and I'm sticking to it. Um, I just like it better that way. So uh, you also may not know this, the book of Psalms is consistently the most read and cited by people as their favorite book of the Bible, when polls like that are taken. Um, And so today we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 together. Now, the first six verses of Psalm 19, uh, they... They speak of God's self-revelation through creation. And then seven through 11 speak of God revealing himself through his word. And so we're gonna see uh, that first part today as we look at one through six, uh, this discussion of God revealing himself through creation. We do have uh, David as an author today. So let's look at uh, that. Let's read verses one through six together. It says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is... As a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Praise God for his word. Verse 3 in the NASB, it says there's no speech nor their words. It's, it's really, the, the essence of that is that there's, there's no need for language translation, right? Like, everybody can see this. Um, it, it speaks a universal language, what the heavens are declaring about God, okay? Uh, that can just be a little confusing in this translation, so I wanted to unpack that. But uh, C.S. Lewis said that this psalm about this psalm. He said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. I would agree. Verses two through six, in one way, it's, it's David waxing poetic and expanding upon this big premise. He talks about the, this tabernacle, or this tent for the sun. He's talking about the night, and he's using this poetic language to describe just the basic rhythms of what he sees in the heavens. The sun rising, the sun setting. The moon rising, the moon setting. Stars coming out and going back away, right? So that's what he's, and he's expanding though as he does that, as he waxes poetic and, and he compares it to a bridegroom or a runner, the sun uh, coming across the sky. Um, he's, he's poetically expanding on a big premise and he makes that premise In verse 1, and and I want to propose to you, it's a monumental premise. It's it's one that every human being should consider and examine carefully. And so what is the premise? Well, actually, it's almost certain that Paul, uh, that he had this psalm in mind when he laid out what he lays out, kind of a similar idea and the implications of that idea in Romans 1. And so I'm going to, because Paul expands on this, I'm going to just read what he wrote. He expands on this big premise. I'm telling you this monumental premise, maybe the premise of premises, right? The one that above all else should be considered. Let me read this to you from Romans 1, starting in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth In unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings. And their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity and the lust of their hearts, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. Serve the creature. Worship the creature rather than the creator. This is a primary issue for us as humans. And so this is the big question. What what does, what is David's premise? What is Paul's premise? That the heavens declare the glory of God. That the expanse, that it shows the, the work of his hand. And it's, it's not just looking up, it's, it's looking around that does the same thing. Paul expands the idea from the heavens to all of creation does this. It, it shows us something specific about our creator. M- multiple things, really. What does he say? That he's powerful. I mean, you gotta be pretty powerful to pull this off. That he's good. I mean, the beauty of creation, it's not showing somebody that's maniacal or has no... No sense of beauty, right? God obviously does. There's so much that creation is telling us. It's showing us. And, and that is the big question. That is the big premise that should be examined with, with real scrutiny because it, it kind of brings us down to the most important questions in existence, right? What does the observable evidence of creation point us to? What, that is the question. David's saying it points us to God. Paul's saying it points us to God. Now, throughout history, anthropologists have yet to discover a culture that did not have some form of religion. What does that tell us? Now, some would say it means that the vast majority of humans throughout time, that they were dumb or superstitious. That's that's the conclusion some would come to. Because we look at all cultures throughout time, and there's, there's some acknowledgement of, of a supernatural element to the world, right? You understand what I'm saying? You, you can't go throughout time in history and, and find a people group that didn't have some sense that this isn't all just material, okay? That's what I'm saying. Why? Why, is it, why does that seem consistent? Well, there's those today, in all of their enlightenment, that would claim it's because throughout the majority of time, we were dumb and... Superstitious as, as a race, as, as the human race. Well, <clears throat> I think that's a pretty prideful position, if you ask me. Here we are in the last five, 600 years, so much smarter than everyone before us. And maybe you'd be tempted to think that's, well, yeah, that's true. Look, we've got science. We've got everything uh, figured out to this point. Well, I don't know. To look at the heavens, the earth, and life on this planet has led the majority of people throughout human history to the conclusion there is something bigger, wiser, and more powerful than us that created it all. David in Psalm 19 and Paul in Romans 1, and I would contend a good mix of humility and common sense, all declare that to be the right conclusion. Now, you can disagree with that, but I'm making a case here and I'm agreeing with the premise of the psalmist. Now, there's a noteworthy distinction between what David writes here about what he believed compared to what many ancient religions um, would have said about it, right? And it's really what Romans 1 lays out explicitly. The the wonders of the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars. For many ancient religions, they they were objects of worship, okay? Whereas... The ancient Hebrews saw even those mighty (laughs) heavenly celestial bodies pointing to a creator above them, orchestrating them all. It's a distinction. It's it's another reason why the the kind of common trope that all religions are basically the same, that idea just it doesn't stand up to any reasonable scrutiny. Okay? Um, Christianity is claiming different things than all the other world religions about the Creator, about his intentions, about his purposes. Uh, about him taking on flesh and dying in our place and then rising from the grave there's there 's some very specific things here um, so and, and i 'm not saying that to pick a fight with anybody other than other than this it, it, this this psalm the heavens are declaring the glory of God, their expanse is declaring the work of his hands it brings us down it, it just it points us directly to kind of kind of those four big questions that every Every coherent worldview has to have an answer for. Where where did we come from? Why are we here? Is there there some kind of moral compass? Where are we going? These are the questions that mankind has pondered through all of his existence, okay? And if you're going to claim a big truth claim about like this is where everything came from, you got to bring an answer to these inquiries. I believe Christianity does, and it has different answers than every other potential explanation, Okay? So I just don't want us you, you could very easily stop thinking about these very complex things um, when you see a coexist bumper sticker. It's like, oh yeah, they're all basically saying the same thing. I'm sure there's something, but you know, I'll just I'll just kind of float along and find out later if it's important. Oh friends, it's important. This is not a question, it's the question. Is there a God? And if there is, then what is he doing? Why all of this? What is the purpose? It's not something that can just be shelved for later. It's a question that must be explored and answered coherently. Um, Worshiping created things and worshiping a creator, those are two very different things. Okay? So let's let's just make sure we're clear about that. Now, some would quickly claim. that that a supernatural explanation of celestial bodies and our own planet and the incredible diversity of life on this planet, that that was just a way that that mankind explained the world around them before we had the modern marvel of of science, uh, which allows us to rationally dismiss all of these simple superstitions. That's really how some people kind of see it. Uh, But my question today is... (laughs) But does it? Is that a reasonable way to see things? Has the ability to observe and understand more about biology or or cosmology or geology or pick all of your other ologies, right? Has the knowledge that we have gained in those areas, has it done what some people think it does? Uh, Has it made belief in a creator less credible? As we've learned more. And friends, I want to propose to you today, um, very earnestly, with as little attitude as possible, that it does the exact opposite. Um, I'm apologizing for myself in advance a little bit if I get some attitude, because I do sometimes feel that it's, uh, maybe I get offended by it, and I shouldn't, but the idea that belief in a supernatural creator is equated to a lack of thinking. I don't like that, okay? Uh, not even just personally, but broadly. It's it's just, it's a logical fallacy, and it's unhelpful, and, and maybe, yeah, a little bit I'm personally offended, so what up? Okay, fine. You guys stare at me like that, then I'll just get honest and confess my sin in front of everyone. there will be a part at the end of the service where you can confess your sin too, all right? So whatever. <clears throat> so... Let's, let's think about this, okay? Because, because that is kind of the, the, the conflict we find ourselves And There's some people that they read, David, the, the heavens, Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God, their expanse is declaring the work of their hands, and they instantly dismiss that as the musings of an ignorant Bronze Age man. That The reason he sees those things, meaning those things, simply because of a lack of knowledge. Well, let's think about that together. What what did David know? Okay, let's start with where he started. He knew there's a sun and a moon. He knows that it, it crosses in a very consistent manner, day after day. There's an order to what these celestial bodies do. It's not just chaos all the time. You can count on it. The sun's coming up in the east, it's rising in the west. The moon has a set of cycles that you know, and you think only we know, I mean, the ancient people knew this stuff. They navigated by this stuff. They planned things by, they, they understood a lot about what was happening in, in the heavens better than I say even we do sometimes. And that's, you know, you look at archeology span and things they built that would, would correlate to different things happening in the sky. It's amazing, but I'm not gonna get into all that. I'm not talking about ancient alien stuff. It's, you know, uh, <laughs> and that's, isn't, isn't that funny? That's where some people go to explain it. Like you got you got people that clearly were more brilliant than we give them credit for in in times past. It's like oh well, aliens must have popped up like that's definitely how that happened. Well okay, um, and I'm and, and and I'm not smart because I think there's a god right like you're, re- really you're just replacing god with aliens. Well I can't explain that how did they how did they make these incredibly precise like you know astronauts astrological instruments out of stone and stuff. And like, what? Well, it must have been an alien. Okay. All right. And somebody needs to tell that brother on that show, like his credibility is harmed by his hair. Like just, just take it down, my man. More people will listen to you. I'm trying to tell you. Not that only people with short hair can be listened to. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying his particular hairstyle is not helping him. You know, flock of seagulls type stuff. Okay. Let's get off of that. So David, David knew that there was this, this bit of order. Uh, but zooming down, there, were, there was more that they knew. That people understood in that time, they understood the seasons. They understood there was a consistency to, to seed time and harvest. These people understood. They, they had held in their hands and they, they, could, they could witness the miracle of taking a seed and planting it in the ground and then a crop coming up and producing more of itself. The incredible... The, I mean, do seeds amaze you? I don't know, maybe I'm just a nerd, but it's amazing to me. You look at, you look at the way these things work, and it's like, man, just attributing that to random chance it starts to feel a bit foolish. David would have been aware of the life cycle uh, of, you know, how, thing, how do I say this? He would have known everything Mufasa knew in, in The Lion King, right? You know what I'm talking about? The circle of life. He would have understood that as... You know th- things are, are born and, and then they live and they die, and then they they decompose, and that actually fertilizes what then feeds the living things and there's this there's this ordered kind of wheel that you can see rotating and it, man man, it very much looks designed right um, He would have understood that, but he would not have <clears throat> understood the the complexity of that the way we do today, because it's not just as simple as the circle of life that Mufasa explained to Simba, right? It's, it's far more complicated than that. David wouldn't have known that, sure, you see that, that cycle of decomposition and things fertilizing, and, but man, they weren't aware that every bit of plant life on this planet takes in what the animal life breathes out and then breathes out what the animal life needs to take in. Okay, we can chalk that up to chance. I, I don't know. It's starting to get harder though, a little bit. He wouldn't have understood the complexities of the water cycle. He saw the order of these celestial bodies. He saw, he saw the, the, the handprint, the fingerprint of design in those things, but man, the specifics of it. Go, go back to the seasons. The fact that we have a growing season and we have uh, the, the, the reset of, of winter. The fact that we have this very consistent cycle he, he would have had no idea he knew that was there he saw the fingerprints of design and the fact that man all of this works really well to sustain life on this planet but he would not have understood how how much of, of a razor's edge we are on to have those seasons he knew the sun was in the sky but he didn't know we were 93 million miles away from it and if we were a little bit closer none of this would happen we'd be crispy and if we were a little bit farther we'd be icy and, and the, the habitable zone, the little, the little sliver you'd have to be in for this to be just right, is so precise. Nor did he understand that the earth sits on a 23.5 degree axis. And if that wasn't the case, the seasons would not work like they do. Furthermore, he saw that the moon was cool and it had these cycles. And man, that sure looks like order. But there's no way he understood all that the moon does in terms of controlling the tides and how much it it has to do with the water cycle on the planet and all of these things. He knew that he could see out past and into the stars. He didn't understand how many other planets, how rare it is to have an atmosphere thin enough for us to even be able to see out, much less the sun's energy come in and life be able to be sustained and liquid water to exist. Okay, he didn't know all of that. He didn't know, he didn't know that There's several different kinds of galaxies. There's hundreds of billions of galaxies. He didn't know there's elliptical galaxies. He didn't know there's irregular galaxies. He didn't know he was sitting in a spiral arm galaxy that we've coined as the Milky Way. He didn't understand that There's lots of different variations even in those. There's very few of those that are set up in such a way where those arms are the right distance apart for a sun like ours, which is very important because there's all different kinds of stars. And you see, here's the problem a lot of times with the the way people think about this. I know, I'm getting amped up, it's okay. I said I wasn't gonna have attitude. I don't think I have attitude yet. Is this attitude? How do you feel? Is this okay? I think the attitude's been kept under control so far. And and I'm, I'm feeling good about the chances of it staying that way. But I just want you to understand something. There's a, people will talk about, oh, there's hundreds of billions, maybe trillions of stars. Man, this, we just, it's random chance, and I'm sure it happened again somewhere else. And look, I don't care if you believe in aliens, it doesn't change anything for me theologically. If you want to talk about that later, that's fine, we can do that. But that's not what this sermon is about. But I'm just trying to tell you this idea that there's so many stars. This was bound to happen. It's just, it's just a lottery thing, man. It's just, it's just probabilities. Well, hold on, man. When you really start to understand how fine-tuned and precise things are for life to exist on this planet, you start to understand that that's not really the case. It's not just that we have the kind of sun we have. It's not just that this sun is, is a yellow dwarf and, and has a, a certain amount of stability that is not seen in other kinds of... So a whole bunch of those stars out there where people are like, oh, well, you know, it was bound to happen. They could never sustain life. Furthermore, as recently as 2020, did you know this? As recently as 2020, because of the observations of the Kepler uh, uh, telescope, we now understand that our sun, here's here's the quotes that they'll use, is unusually stable compared to other stars even just like it. Imagine that. Imagine that. And there'll be, you know, the articles will talk about cosmic lottery and how lucky we are and all, well, maybe. (laughs) Maybe, but when you've only got 7.5% of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy that, that are like ours, and then, then you take that, which is not a very big number, and then you look at all those, and then ours is, has this stability that takes it down to maybe maybe a half a percent among them, and it's, it's not just that, man. Do you understand that in a spiral galaxy, okay, we've got these big arms going around the center, which they think is a black hole, I don't know, maybe, but in any case, These spiral arms have to be a certain distance apart for there to be enough room in the middle for for a sun like ours to land in the middle. And there's this incredible phenomenon that you don't see happen almost anywhere where our little solar system is moving in the same cadence as those arms around the big center. Because if it didn't happen, if those arms ran into us or we slowed down and one caught up to us, you understand... There's so much going on in those arms in terms of noxious gases and bunch of stars and explosions. It would be lights out. What, what, am I, what am I getting at? I'm saying David knew a lot, but I'm saying we know a lot more. I didn't even get into biology. I just went cosmology. I went big, broad. I mean, get down to biology. Get down to the fact that, yeah, David knew there was a life. David didn't know about cells. David didn't know that when you have an electron microscope... Darwin didn't know this either. I'm not trying to pick a fight with him necessarily at the moment, but I'm just saying he didn't have an electron microscope. He couldn't get to the point where he puts, looks down at a cell and understands it's not just a little blob of something, man. It's the very building block of life, and you get down to the very simplest, smallest, tiny bit of what composes life, and there's incredible intricacy, complexity going on at the very simplest building blocks of life. There's a lot going on. I mean, DNA, man. What tells that cell to be the kind of cell it is? We still don't have a great idea. How do you get all this pre-coded information in there? I think there's an author. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to make this case that David, David probably knew a lot more than, than we give him credit for. But, but the big premise that I'm, I'm trying to talk to you about is, has us getting, becoming more aware of how all of this creation works made it more or less reasonable to say the heavens are telling of the glory of God. I'm I'm just proposing to you that I think it's actually more reasonable. I think we have more reason than David did to say that with confidence. The more we figure out, the more we realize how fine-tuned all of this is. I mean... (laughs) The fact that our Earth has a a primarily nickel-iron core you know what that means? That means that we have a magnetic shield around this planet that is very rare, that keeps the radiation from just frying us, that comes from our sun. There's so many things, man. There's so many things. The position in our solar system, our position in the galaxy, the fact that everything that it takes for there to be fresh water, which is essential to life as we understand it, the cycles, the, the give and take between the biological species on the planet, it's incredible. I've heard it said that it's, it's a bit like flying to Mars, which your man Elon may make happen soon, I don't know. You know, It seems like we're getting closer. It's like flying to Mars, getting out your spaceship and finding a biodome and walking in and seeing that there's a control panel that controls all of the, the, need, you know, the oxygen levels and all the little things that, that would have to be controlled in that atmosphere in order for life to exist in this biodome, and, and there's, there's 12 dials on this thing, and every one of those dials has a thousand little click marks, and every single one has to be set to an exact point for life to exist. And it's like, if you walked in and you saw that, set up with that kind of precision, needed precision, what conclusion would you come to? Would you figure that like solar wind and natural processes over time built the biodome? You can, but... Boy, that doesn't seem to be probably the best assertion. <clears throat> Amen. Actually, I, I have a, It's not very elegant, but I have a, a simple way. Because here's here's the problem. Here's what happens. I want I want to illustrate this. I have a simple way to illustrate this. I've done this before. If you've seen it, then forgive me, but. I can't think of a better way to illustrate it because throughout history, there's people that have talked about, um, you know, if you were walking down the street and you found a watch on the ground or, you know, what, what would be the best assumption about that? And and I get that. What they're trying to say is the earth and all of its systems, biological life, it's very complex. And so what is, and that's what we need to understand when it comes to discussions about this. Don't be worried. I'm not going to throw this hammer at you. Some of you are like, what is he doing with that? It's okay. You're all right. I got a good grip on it. Um, it, the question is, we're going to be careful about this because you'll, you'll hear people talk about uh, proving God doesn't exist, proving God did or didn't create all things. And here's the reality. It is very, 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 very unlikely we're ever going to prove the way people mean it by the scientific method that God either did or didn't create all things. It's very unlikely that will ever happen. I Personally, I, don't, I could say with 100% confidence, we're not going to do that. But I, I'm just saying, most likely, because who knows? Someone may invent a time machine at some point, because that's really what you need to prove it. Right? You need a time machine. Go back to the beginning. So here's here's the question that I have, and, and, and here's the idea that I, I want to propose. It it isn't what it isn't proving one thing or another when it comes to these discussions. It's what, based on observable evidence, what is most reasonable? That's all, that's the best we can hope for. And that's really the way we should talk about it if we're going to talk about it intelligently. And if we're going to talk about it with integrity, we're not going to prove anything, but what is the most reasonable based on what we can see, okay? And here's, this, this idea helps me to, to think about that. So what I have here is, is it's the simplest structure that I can think of. Okay, and maybe you can think of something better. It's three components. It's two pieces of wood, okay? And it's a nail. All right, now, I'm going to put these together. I'm going to make the simplest structure I can possibly think of. You guys scared? Don't be scared. It's going to be okay. Okay. If I hit my finger, I promise I won't cuss on the microphone, if that's what you're worried about. I'm actually not, not that prone to swear words. It takes a whole lot. Didn't think I was going to do it, did you? Look at that. That's the simplest structure I can possibly think of. Would you agree that's pretty simple? Okay. Okay. I mean, it's three pieces. Not even nothing complex to it, really. But but I want to just make the I'm, I'm, I get I get so annoyed sometimes about this idea that um, to believe in, in a supernatural element to all of creation means you're you're stupid or you're, or you're being unreasonable. So if you were to be walking through the woods and you stumbled upon this very simple structure leaned against a tree, here's my question to you what is the most reasonable assertion you would come to about how it got there? We have two options, don't we? We have option one, is that through random chance and natural processes, um, this wood was shaped into a very neat square, with slightly rounded edges. Uh, maybe a volcano exploded and there was a pine forest and, and, and through the explosion, you know, everything was flying through the air and then some iron ore came out of the volcano in the shape of a nail and it shot into it and then it landed there and you found it. Maybe, boy, but that sure sounds a lot, like a lot bigger stretch than than maybe somebody nailed these two boards together and leaned it on the tree. What's the point? (laughs) The point is, this is as simple as it gets. And all of you, any reasonable person will understand, it looks like somebody intelligent put this thing together. Now you look at the complexity of the world that we're living in, the biological life that is living in it, the complexity, I mean, do you know how many systems are working in perfect synergy right now for you to be sitting upright where you're at, able to listen and process what's being said? There's incredible complexity to biological life and all of the systems that it takes to support it. So what is most reasonable to assume about that? It's, it's not foolish. It's not unintelligent. When you, and, and, the, and I'm just saying, as, as, recent, as recently as 2020, we're, we're reaching out farther and farther with our telescopes. We're gathering more data. We're, we just keep coming up with more things that shows how incredibly unique and fine-tuned all of this is for us to be right here. Okay? So... <clears throat> Where does all of that lead us? What it doesn't necessarily point us to, we need to be honest about this, what it doesn't necessarily lead us to is the God of the Bible. Do you understand that? Not necessarily. What it leads us to is most reasonably an all-powerful creator. But that could have many applications aside from the, the God we see in the Bible. Um, I will point out again, though, that a single, all-powerful creator, instead of worshiping the created things that we see, worshiping the sun or the moon or the sea or whatever, that there is a distinction in, in the kind of Hebrew and then Christian faith of, of believing there's one creator that made it all. That I think maybe that points us in the right direction. But <clears throat> if, if we see there is strong evidence for a creator, then who that creator is and what they why they created and what that has to do with us are the questions that cannot be easily or intelligently dismissed. So what I'm saying is, someone looks at all the observable evidence, somebody takes a look around, they come to the same conclusion that the vast majority of humankind has throughout all of history. Boy, there's something here other than us. This didn't all just happen. There's, there's forces at work here that need explanation. Okay? And what should that do? It, it, what, and what Romans 1 says is it should send us searching. <laughs> It should should humble us and have us looking for someone greater than us. And for the vast majority of humankind, it it has done that. Now, to determine whether or not we should be joining other ancient religions, (laughs) worshiping the sun, the moon, the sea, or that even among the among the, the, the ancient and world religions that would have either a pantheon of gods or, or I would say, you know, there's, there's really only the Abrahamic faith so much that has a one single creator God. And in that I'm talking, about, uh, I'm talking about Judaism, I'm talking about Christianity, I'm talking about Islam. All uh, kind of traced back to Abraham. There's, there's a, uh, a distinction between those faiths and the rest when it comes to their kind of being this one all-powerful creator. So what's, what's the point? Once you, get, <clears throat> once you get beyond this big premise that David lays out in Psalm 1, that the heavens are declaring there's a God, that the expanse is showing us his handiwork, okay? And once you get past that, it's like, okay, so who is this God? What, what else? Can, how can we know because there's, there's other options out there? Well, to narrow it down, to begin to think through it in a reasonable way, you, begin to, you have to start beginning to, to examine the central claim of, of each of these these faiths, right? You, you look at and see how does it stand up to scrutiny? How does, how does that faith, how does this explanation, how does these, maybe this, these scriptures who point us to this God, how, how does all that it has to say to answer those four big questions of where do we come from and why are we here and, and what is the purpose and is there morality that we need to care about and and where are we going, how does it answer those questions and and is it coherent in how it does that? And I would just propose to you that as we examine Christianity, we examine these other proposals of of who this creator God is, you find a coherence and you find a consistency within the Christian worldview um, that, that far surpasses what anyone else has to offer. And here's what part of why I'm saying that. If you pop quiz class, if we want to examine the central claim of Christianity, where would you go? Who are you looking at? I'm looking at Jesus. Thank you, sir. I'm looking at Jesus. If I want to understand what, okay, what is Christianity claiming that the rest aren't? Okay, here's what we're claiming we're claiming that based on what God has revealed in His Word, that God is. Trinitarian in nature, so there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. I don't understand that. Don't worry, no one really does. We believe it by faith, okay? <laughs> you're, you're fine. That means you've thought about it enough to realize you're not smart enough to understand it. Bravo. Every, yeah. A lot of heresy has happened by people thinking they've explained the Trinity. It's, it's not, that's not how it works, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> There's more that could be said about that, but I got to keep going. So <clears throat> that's, a, that's a distinct claim. And the, and, and, and the Bible claims that one person the Trinity, the Son, in, in a miraculous way that is beyond, also beyond comprehension and explanation, takes on flesh, is born of the Virgin Mary, lives a perfect life, walks among us, is tempted like we are, comes down into the dirt to suffer with us. And then he steps in and takes all of the wrath of God that should have justly been poured out upon us as sinners. It's not done. He didn't just die on the cross. Part of the central claim of Christianity is that Jesus rose from the grave. Well, how does that stack up? Look at when we're, when we're trying to figure out, <clears throat> is, is it reasonable to believe that? So I, I think we've worked on, and you, you know, there's still lots of debate that could be had, but it's we should be able to at least come to the table and say, all right, well, it's not to dismiss out of hand and to call unreason, to, to call belief in a creator unreasonable. That's not fair. That's not logical. Okay, so if, if we at least come to the table there, and now we're getting down to details and specifics, does that claim hold water? Well, there's, there's lots of ways you could look at that. There's lots of ways you could think about that. But here's, here, I would, here's some things to consider. You have... Jesus being born into a time where the, the people that he's born from are under subjugation to the Romans who have a pantheon of gods. There's, there's even a transition this time where, where we're kind of moving from a lot of adherence and allegiance to the, the pantheon of Roman gods as it was known and more even more worship of the Caesars. There's this transition happening. And so, and they've got, the, Rome at this time has a, a stranglehold on much of the occupied world, and, and this, is, this is the environment that Jesus comes into. And you know, does, does Jesus, is, is Jesus born into a position of power where it, it makes a lot of sense that he'd be able to start a resistance and, and kind of get something going here? No, man, he's born to a no-name family in a no-name place. I mean, I don't think you would know the name Nazareth if Jesus hadn't lived there. I'm trying to tell you. It was, <laughs> ooh, sometimes I compare it to other cities. Like little ones, so that you understand. But I, because of what's said about Nazareth, I don't want to knock anybody's little micro town. But here's what I'm saying. It was little, man. And nobody knew about it. Nobody cared about it. That's where Jesus came from. So how did this guy, okay, came from the wrong stock, from the wrong place, rise up and come to the place of prominence where literally the, the, the world pivoted, man, the whole world changed. I mean, are we, are we worshiping Roman Caesars today? We are not. That's where things were headed. Something, and here's my point, man. Some, something happened, okay? You can, to, there's, there are no credible, no credible scholars will, will dismiss the existence of the person Jesus. There's a debate about lots of things when it comes down to the details, but whether or not he existed and whether or not he died on a Roman cross These things are not easy to dismiss. Now things start to get questionable when it comes to the resurrection. The Bible has an account of what happened. That Jesus rose from the grave just like he said he would. Now, there's other explanations for that. You know, and and many of them are reaching. Right? There's this there's the idea that, you know, when they beat him half to death, crucified him, and then stabbed him with a spear in the heart to make sure he was dead, he didn't really die. He passed out. And that's how he rose from the grave. We're reaching a little bit, it seems, okay? Um, you know, professional executioners did, did the job. Um, the, 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 the disciples snuck in and stole the body. They got past the Roman guards and, and stole the body. And that's what explains why that tomb was empty. Well, okay. Uh, but then all of those guys, 11 of them ended up martyred, okay? Okay. Uh, and then, you know, John was boiled in oil. It didn't kill him. Tough old bird. Well, and here's, here's my point, man. You have, you, have, you have the apostles who followed Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who heard his teaching, all end up unwilling to recant the idea that he rose from the grave and they saw it. That they saw him arisen. And if what had happened was that Peter, James, and John, and, and all the rest, that they ended up like rich, you know, like kings, like, you know, they, they had whatever the, the, the Bronze Age equivalent of a jet was, you know what I mean? Like they had that transportation. Like if that's how the story would have went, you could have started to think, hmm, you know what, maybe they did cook up a lie because they knew they were going to be able to benefit from like fleecing people with the lie. So they started this false religion and claimed that Jesus rose from the grave. But when they ended up like filleted and thrown off buildings and crucified upside down you start to wonder, what was what was, hmm, what was the motivation there? Well, I, I can't think of one other than he actually rose from the grave and they saw it. And then, and then books of the Bible are written, people are writing these letters within the time frame where there was people alive witnessing it and they're saying all these people saw it, right? And, and nobody's standing up and saying, no, that's not true. What happened? Why did the world change? Why today are we singing songs to Jesus instead of Mars or Jupiter or Venus or Zeus or Athena or whoever? Right? Why? Well, maybe because this one just was the most appealing to, to, to you know humans broadly. Maybe, maybe this maybe this religion just made the most sense. Oh, okay. The kingdom of God, like the most upside-down assault on our human sensibilities, that's the one that won out. The gospel that says every single one of you is a sinner deserving of the wrath of God. And the only hope you have is to admit that and to reach out by faith and trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Instead of what would make total sense, which is every other religious system, which is you do good things, you get good things. You do good things, you get some kind of reward in eternity. That makes perfect sense to me. If we were picking, that's the one we would have picked. Any of those would make more sense to us than this completely foreign, wild idea that it's by the grace of God alone that we can be saved. So, what do we come to? What conclusions do we come to? Well, at the very least, we can come to conclusions of what is reasonable. And what I don't want you to do, dear Christian, is to ever let anybody make you feel as if you're being unreasonable for examining and believing the central claims of Christianity. But I do hope that if you're sitting in here today and up till now, maybe your belief in these things was simply based on maybe less thinking and more just taking on what you were told. I'm hoping that you're also being challenged to examine it for yourself. You see, because a worldview that's true is not going to shut down questions. It's not going to be scared of skepticism. So I want you to also know here at Love City Church, questions are welcome. We enjoy all, very few things more than talking with skeptics that are truly searching. It's an incredible privilege to have those kind of conversations. And oftentimes, I would much rather someone start there because it tells me they're thinking. And the Bible nowhere asks you to stop thinking. The God who made us gave us the brains he gave us, the ability to employ logic and reason. It's very glorifying to God when we use the brains he gave us to think about these things, to examine them, to seek for truth, and then to share it with others. Amen. I told you that <clears throat> this, I've been doing this long enough that this comes as no surprise to me. But reading, reading these first six verses, as I got to the end, I, <laughs> this very last line, it seems to me um, particularly applicable this week in light of what's going on in the world. Um, he says it's rising this from one end. Of the heavens in its circuit to the other end. Speaking again of that consistency, that order that we see. Okay? And then it says, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Talking about the sun. And and that really made me think of this situation in Ukraine and all the questions it could bring. Honest questions that are, that are it's okay to ask, but 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 we also need to make sure we We also need to make sure we are skeptical of our skepticism at times. You understand what I mean? We've got to question our questions. You can't can't just lean into that, especially when when oftentimes it's born out of, you know, listen, I tried to pray for you about this earlier, but I want to speak to it quickly. There's there's people that represent an entire spectrum that are part of this church in terms of how you're, you're processing what's going on in the world right now in this conflict in Ukraine. Some of you have an incredibly strong gift for empathy, and that means every single bit of news that's coming out of this conflict, you're feeling at a very deep level. And I I don't ever want to uh, be a wet blanket to the gift God gave you to be able to perceive and feel what other people are feeling and to care about it, because that is very much a gift from God. But for those of you in that position, the devil always wants to take good things and twist them and use them against you. What he'd like to do is drag you into a place of anxiety that ends up where you're, you're for sure not helping them by, by being pulled down into this place of despair and anxiety. Um, it could pull you to a place where you, 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 you end up even doubting God's goodness, whether or not praying for those folks is even a worthwhile thing. Satan would like to, would like to play on you in that way. And if that's, if that's you, if you're on that end of this thing, Can can I humbly suggest to you, first of all, to be careful in terms of uh, how how frequently you're checking in. What, how much of what the media? Because listen to me, news about this type of stuff sells. That's why you're seeing all kinds of video clips and things, uh, pictures coming out of this thing. That after somebody looks at it for a minute, they realize, okay, that picture right there that was supposedly from yesterday was actually taken in 2015. A lot of that happening. A lot of video clips being given with commentary, like, oh, this is happening right now, you're seeing this, and, and this is a part of what's going on here. No, it's not. You can go back and find that, that video that was taken in 2012, okay? There's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of things. This stuff sells. People, you know, people that make money off of your viewership know they got to keep feeding the machine, and so, and maybe it's not nefarious, maybe... Maybe some of them don't know. And surely the people that end up sharing this stuff and promulgating it oftentimes through social media, they often don't know. But look, not everything is as it seems, for sure. Okay, The forces of darkness are at work, and so you know there's deception in the mix. And so just, I'm just asking you to be careful. I'm encouraging you to be careful with how much of it you take in and you know how often you're jumping back on that news feed, whatever that looks like for you, to take in more content from... From what's happening. For some of you, you're going to need to be disciplined and, and, and say, all right, I'm, I'm only going to look at this so much each day. You don't need the minute by minute play from the war front. Okay. Unless you're going to go and, and you know, grab an AK and help, which I don't think they're offering that as an option right now. Okay. You, you don't need the details from the front line minute by minute. Okay. Some of you are on the whole other end of the spectrum and because you've got so much going on in your own life or whatever, you don't, you don't have enough bandwidth It feels like to even you, you may be, you may have found out today there's something going on in Ukraine. Cause I mentioned it. Okay. If that's you, uh, I would encourage you to, to look up from the, the daily grind and, and, and whatever your struggles are and realize there, there are things happening in the world that matter and, uh, we are limited in what we can do, but we for sure should be standing in prayer and solidarity with those who are suffering. Okay? Some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Vince, I landed exactly in the middle of all that, and I already had all that figured out. Thank you very much. And to you, I say, congratulations. <laughs> You're probably lying to yourself. Okay. Okay. But there's some, there's some really honest questions that could come out of this. Like, where is God? Why would he allow this? Uh, things of that nature. And that can come and challenge even the basic premise that David is talking about, that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And, and the goodness that we see in God as a result of creation, as a result of what we believe about Christ coming, dying, and rising. Uh, so to see human suffering and and the, the tragedy of that it can it can it can make these questions come up again, even for those that have have wrestled through them in the past and thought that they'd sorted it out and the problem is for us to be many thousand miles away from from the actual suffering and what's going on it can there there are those even already this week accusing anyone that appeals to the promises of God's word and how to think about it that that's Um, a result of privilege or somehow trite. Um, But dear friends, (laughs) you only really know how to cling to the promises of God's word in the midst of great struggle oftentimes when you have clung to God's word in the midst of great struggle. Okay? Um, Where is God? Why would he allow us? I, I, I know, regardless of how painful it is to see some of the tragic imagery and things that are coming out. I know that God is working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And I realize that there are those that say right off the bat, that's, that's trite to say. Well, first of all, I'm not saying it to a Ukrainian right now on the front lines. I'm saying it to you who's trying to process all this from thousand miles away. Okay. But secondly, we need to understand the situation is complicated, but here's what we know for sure. Where there is death and destruction, the forces of darkness are at work. That's for sure. And so the question is, is it it trite to place our hope in this promise, in, in any of the promises of God in light of such suffering? And I'd like to call your attention to the fact that the Psalms are full of hope for people going through really difficult, hard things. Psalm 9 verse 9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. I mean, you, you can decide it's trite to tell someone going through it that that's true, but man, where else are they really going to go? What really is a stronghold other than the eternal hope found in God? Where else are... What, what, what human stronghold are you going to find? There isn't one, really. Not one that stands. Psalm 103 verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He will. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. It's not just that God is up in heaven playing chess you know, with some long pole down here on earth. That's, that's not what it looks like, man. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's working good things from a very close position. Not as some separated tyrant having fun with the pieces on the board. That's not what this looks like. Well, how do you know? How do you trust that? Because I already saw it in Christ coming. I already know I'm not dealing with a God who just stays far away and is, is, is fine with that. I, I, I see in Christ, the clearest expression of how God does things, and it allows me to cling to hope that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's true for those that are in the midst of this thing. It's true for those of you that are feeling it. The Lord is nearer to the brokenhearted, the Lord is near. Jeremiah 22:13 Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing, it does not give him his wages. It's not just encouragement to those who are the oppressed or those who are suffering that we find in the scriptures. We also find these woe to statements. God is a God of mercy and love, long-suffering, compassion, amen, but he is a God of justice as well. And this is how we don't end up in this paradigm. It's like, well, what is God doing? When is, when is God going to do something? Friend, we have scriptures that are full of, of these stories where as people were going through it, there's no way they could see the goodness of God being orchestrated. But as, as we saw it unfold, we knew, I mean, when, look, when Daniel was in the lion's den based on the deception of those advisors and, and, and the foolishness of the king, when he was in the lion's den, could he have possibly known that the next morning when the king came and pulled him up out of there, that then there was going to be a declaration in all of that land, look, God's Daniel's God. And everybody that just tried to pull this off, they go in the lion's den. Could he have known, what I'm saying is, could he have known it in the moment? No, because he's a finite human looking through the keyhole of time. There's no way he could have known exactly how God was working good. What we can do is know that he is. When the disciples were watching Jesus be hung on the cross, could they know, did they understand the fullness of how God was working good in that? No, they were looking through the keyhole of time and understood only right then that everything they thought they had believed was, they thought it was shattered. They thought it was done. They thought the devil had won. But had he friends? No, he had not. So When the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands, one of the first things that should do is humble us. And humility helps us to stand in a place of trusting that God is aware of and doing things that we cannot possibly see. He's shown us enough times that he's gonna be faithful to these promises that we can stand on that. I don't know exactly how God is going to thwart the forces of darkness, and what is going on, in the, and it's not just in Ukraine, it's just the forces of darkness are trying to wreak havoc all over the world. And in every one of those situations, God is 10 steps ahead. He always will be. And he will always, in every case, work for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He will be glorified in the end and make a fool and a mockery of his enemies. And who are his enemies? Well, it's the force of darkness, and it's anybody, anybody, who would use their power to oppress others. Always. God, you do that, it's like holding a big sign, like God, I want to fight you. Boy, you better put that down. That's a dumb sign to write, and it's a real dumb sign to hold. Sit down. And why am I saying that this last verse brought me to all that? Here's what what the Lord was showing me in it. Friends, the same sun that rises each day upon the citizens of Ukraine and all the other oppressed and hurting people in the world, reminding them of the power and steadfast love of our creator, that same sun, it serves as a warning to all those who are doing the oppressing and the hurting. The heat falls. Nothing escapes its heat. And the the steadfastness of those celestial bodies in the sky, it's a reminder to those who are struggling and hurting and trying to make it through the brokenness of this world that we have a God that is even more steadfast and stable than that. Because he's the one that hung those there. He's the one that laid all this out to the exact precision that it takes for us to have the ability to stand and look at it. Come on. That reminder of God's power and glory and goodness, it also serves as a warning to every single person. That would seek to do harm, that align themselves with the forces of darkness, and try to come against a God that good, that powerful, that faithful. The heat's hitting everybody. There is a God so mighty, He spoke all the wonders of the universe into existence, and He will not be mocked by futile attempts of men to make little kingdoms for themselves. He will not be mocked by the foolish impulse for men to worship themselves. And try to make others do the same. All who practice such wickedness are following the same path, the same prideful path as Satan himself. And without humble repentance, they will suffer the same fate he has earned. Don't worry. Justice will be done. But thank God there is a potential for mercy because friends, let us not only take comfort in God's justice against the tyrants and the despots who are so easy for us to loathe. But let us also acknowledge our own tendency to worship created things instead of the creator, to worship ourselves in pride instead of loving God because he loved us first. And then as a result of that, laying ourselves down to love one another. Because Jesus showed us that that, is actually what we were made for. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you for Psalm 19. Thank you for verses one through six and, and this declaration by the psalmist for us to look to the heavens, to look to your creation, to stop and consider what it means. <laughs> what story is it telling? What truths is is it declaring, and I thank you, Lord, it does declare your glory, your goodness, your steadfast faithfulness, your great power, and your love for us. Only a God of great power and great love could create something so beautiful, so ordered, um, so lovely for us to inhabit. Father, and I know it breaks your heart that sin and, and corruption has has ravaged so much of this world you may, and I thank you for the great promise that absolutely every single thing that sin has made wrong, you will make right one day. And in the meantime, we have this opportunity to walk by faith in perseverance, by the power of your spirit, not just to traverse this landscape and and sojourn as travelers through this and just make it ourselves. That's not the point. The point is for us to, to share the great hope that we have in you with as many people as possible while we're passing through. So I thank you, Lord, that that this is not our home, but for now, uh, it is our mission field. And I thank you, God. I thank you that you're a reasonable God (laughs) and that you aren't afraid of hard questions. Help us, Lord, uh, to be like that as well, to be gracious and patient with those who are questioning um, because you are. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.